2, 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and Prolocytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Okay, you can have a seat. As you do, let's go to the Lord in prayer now. If you'll join me. God, we thank you for your word. We pray now that you would speak as only you can through your word. And we pray that in hearing, you would help us to believe and also to do what you have called us and commanded us to do in your word. We pray that by your spirit, we will be made more into the image of your son, Jesus, that our individual lives, our families, and our church will continue to bring you glory as you build us up by your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to ask you a question, something to consider as we get going here. What is it that you most eagerly expect or anticipate? What do you get your hopes up for? In your daily, weekly, monthly, or yearly life, you know, it could be as simple as that daily cup of coffee in the morning. 
or two or three or four cups of coffee throughout the day. Uh, if you're like me, a few months ago, you were living for the weekend because every Friday a new episode of The Mandalorian dropped. Uh, or maybe you're like me, Lauren, I'm looking at you, and you just want to live for the next vacation. Uh, what is it that you expect or anticipate? We just uh, celebrated Christmas. Christmas, obviously, is likely the most expected and anticipated holiday. The buildup for it in our culture is just immense. Kids, I imagine that you just couldn't wait for Christmas to come, or maybe your birthday. But for some of you, maybe what you most eagerly anticipate or expect is a bit more consequential. Maybe a relationship that needs reconciliation or promotion or raise that you feel you deserve or healing for a family member for a, for a sickness or for an addiction. Now, sometimes our expectations are exceeded, right? And that's great. But as we all know from experience, our expectations are often not met at all. It may sound trivial, but you could open up that cabinet in the morning and there's no more coffee. That's happened to me, and it's a letdown. Kids, maybe you didn't get what you wanted for Christmas, what you expected to get. And more importantly, maybe that relationship grows more and more fractured. You didn't get the promotion or raise that you felt you deserved. You got looked over. Maybe it doesn't seem like that healing is going to come anytime soon. That's the problem with expectations, right? There's just no knowing when and if they'll be met in the way that we want them to. And so we find ourselves living from thrill to thrill, from weekend to weekend, trip to trip, holiday to holiday, with very little joy in between. And if we're not careful, then we'll also apply this roller coaster of our expectations to the way that we relate to God. Now, if we don't disregard or forget about God entirely as we go about our days, we'll treat Him like all the other things that we have expectations for. And I think it's safe to say that for those of us who are in Christ, we've all experienced those special movements of God in our lives, maybe in a worship service or on a mission trip or in our family, in a relationship. And so we come to expect that those special, almost tangible movements of God are what we need to sustain us with very little joy in between when He moves in that way. Folks, living from miracle to miracle is not what it means to live with an eager expectation for the Spirit of God. And yet we should live with an eager expectation for God's Spirit. What's important is that we understand His nature and His work rightly, biblically. And that's what our text for today will help us to do. As individuals, as families, as a church, we open our hearts to the truth of the Word today and we understand it rightly. Here's what we'll find. Here's the main idea that we want to internalize today. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. We should always live with an eager expectation of the Spirit's work in our lives. We should always live with an eager expectation of the Spirit's work in our lives. My hope is that we all leave here today eagerly expecting the Spirit to work. And how are we going to do that? Well, we can grow together in eager expectation by looking at this text and how it shows us three things. 
the Holy Spirit's presence, the Holy Spirit's power, and the Holy Spirit's purpose. The Holy Spirit's presence, power, and purpose. May God grant us a renewed and even more eager expectation of his work in our lives as we consider these things. But before we jump in, kids, I want to talk to you for a second. I have an assignment for you as I am speaking here. I want you to draw a picture of this story from Acts 2. All right, I want you to draw a picture, and I want to see those pictures after the service. I didn't get to see any pictures after the first service. Okay, so I'm going to be really sad if I don't see your pictures after this service. All right, so draw a picture of this story from Acts 2. I want to see those pictures afterwards. Okay, so first, this text is meant to teach us about the Holy Spirit's presence. Holy Spirit's presence. In verse 1, chapter 2, it says that the day of Pentecost had arrived. Now, what is Pentecost? Pentecost was one of the three pilgrimage feasts that the Jews observed throughout the year. So Jews from all over the Roman Empire would gather in Jerusalem for this celebration. Pentecost is a name that literally means 50th, because it happened 50 days after the Passover feast. It was also called the Feast of Weeks. And it was a feast to celebrate the first fruits of the wheat harvest. They were not gluten-free. Uh, the wheat harvest, which was the most important grain harvest for the Israelites, it began around the time of Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks. And so they would gather from all over the known world to Jerusalem to offer as sacrifices to the Lord the first fruits of their wheat harvest. The first parts of the wheat, basically, that grew and that they would gather they gave away. And this was an act of faith as much as it was an act of thanksgiving. Why? Because it's hard to give away what you've been waiting for for so long. And rest assured, the Israelites had been waiting a long time for this wheat, their most important grain. It's hard to give your first fruits, and you'll only do it if you believe there's something better to wait for. You'll only do it if you believe there's something better to expect and anticipate. You'll only do it if you've come to trust more in the one who gave you the first fruits than in the first fruits themselves. That's what Pentecost is all about, and that's why they are in Jerusalem at this time. The they, mentioned in verse 1, refers to the 120 disciples that we read about back in Acts chapter 1. And that, of course, includes the 12 apostles, Matthias now as a replacement for Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. The place that's mentioned there uh, is where they are gathered, uh, is the house that they are staying at in Jerusalem. And suddenly, verse 2, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Have you ever had your entire house filled with a noise, maybe a smoke alarm. Maybe some of you have lived through a tornado. I have not, thank the Lord. Uh, but if you have, you may describe, as many have, what sounded like a freight train. Speaking of, um, the, the closest thing I can think of to this uh, was an experience that Lydia and I had in our first night in the little duplex where we lived in Birmingham, Alabama. We found this cute little duplex in this great little diverse artsy part of town, um, oh, I don't know, 15 feet from a cute little railroad track. And we couldn't believe how cheap the rent was. Like, we really got a deal on this one. Well, did I mention the cute little railroad track? 
Our first night, we found out exactly why the rent was so cheap. Because at about 2 o'clock in the morning, something was coming on that cute little railroad track, and there was nothing cute about what was coming. It sounded like that train was going to come busting through our cute little bedroom, and I may have said a cute little prayer of desperation in that moment. Like, what is happening? It filled our house. I think this is close to what happened at Pentecost. It wasn't an actual wind, something that sounded like a mighty rushing wind. And wind throughout the scriptures often accompanies mighty acts of God. You think about how God spoke to Job out of the whirlwind. And also it came suddenly and from where? From heaven. This was no earthly phenomenon. This was the supernatural divine fulfillment of what the prophets of old and John the Baptist and Jesus himself said was going to happen. This was the coming of the Holy Spirit of God himself. And I think it bears mentioning here something really important about the Holy Spirit that we need to glean from this. He is free. He is free to move and work when he sees fit, where he sees fit, how he sees fit, and in whom he sees fit. John Piper says it this way, the Holy Spirit's not a bellhop. Yes, he's our helper. He may carry our bags, but he keeps his own hours. In that sense, the Holy Spirit is manifested here no differently than he is throughout the Old Testament. He cannot be summoned like some genie in a bottle. He's not subject to our requisitions. He always has been and always will be free. But there is something markedly different in how the Spirit is manifested here compared to how he manifested himself in the Old Testament. Verse 3 tells us that tongues or flames, tongues just another word for flames, flames of fire came to rest on each of the disciples. And maybe you rightly think of those episodes throughout the Old Testament. You know, God speaking to Moses out of the burning bush or that pillar of fire that signified the Lord's presence with his people as they traveled to the promised land or that episode in Isaiah 6 when he is cleansed with fire. There's something different here, something markedly different here than even those powerful examples of his presence in the form of fire because verse 4 tells us that now they are what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. As Peter will explain in verse 17, this is what the prophet Joel was talking about when God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. This is what Ezekiel was talking about in Ezekiel 36. We had this as our public reading of scripture earlier. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is what John the Baptist was talking about when he said that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, by the way, uh, it doesn't mean what our Pentecostal brothers and sisters believe, that you can be saved by Christ in your heart and then later be baptized in the Holy Spirit and receive various sign gifts like tongues or prophecy or healing. That's not what baptism of the Holy Spirit means. From Acts 2 onward until the Lord himself comes again to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, is simply to receive the Holy Spirit in your life, to be actually and personally indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And this happens for all of those who place their faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. This 
giving of the Holy Spirit here, it's the guarantee that the new covenant has been established in Jesus' blood. And, and so as the prophets and Jesus himself testified, it's, it's a different giving of the Spirit than, than, than what we see in the Old Testament. It's the difference between having glasses that you can take off or put on and getting LASIK eye surgery to permanently correct and perfect your vision. It is, in fact, the difference between having the law written on tablets of stone and the law written on your heart. Do you want to live with a more eager expectation of the Spirit's work in your life? Well, the first step to that is to receive the Spirit of God into your life in the first place. And I know many of you have, but if you're not a Christian, then wait no longer. Trust that Jesus is who the Bible says that he is. Trust that he did what the Bible said he would do. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus and find forgiveness, a new heart in the very presence of God and the giving of his spirit with you. Now, if you are a Christian, then the first step to living with a more eager expectation of the spirit's work is to not forget that he is always with you. If King David in the Old Testament could say in Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit? And where shall I flee from your presence? How much more so can we say that now? Acts 2 does represent a unique event in that this is the birthday of the church. But brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit was no more so indwelling those who gathered at Pentecost than he indwells us now. At this very moment, the promise of Jesus to be with us always is being fulfilled. As I speak, the Holy Spirit is with us. He is in us. Do you expect the Holy Spirit to work in your life? And if not, is it because you live as though he isn't always with you? Listen, the more aware we are, the more in tune we are, our hearts are with the Holy Spirit's presence the more we will eagerly expect him to work. The more we are in tune with his presence, the more often we'll recall those precious scriptural promises and encouragements. The more often we will think and speak and act the way uh, that Jesus did, the more often we'll find comfort and joy in the valley. In fact, as we are more aware of his presence with us, we will be able to say, along with the psalmist in our call to worship this morning, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why can we say that? For you are with me. You are with me. Holy Spirit's constant and permanent presence with us means that he is always working to draw us closer to the Father and make us more like the Son. So we should eagerly expect that work to take place every single day. Also, to have the Holy Spirit's presence is to have the Holy Spirit's power. And to remember the Holy Spirit's power is to grow in an eager expectation of His work. That's what we'll turn to now, the Holy Spirit's power. Verses 4 through 13 detail this miracle that takes place when the Holy Spirit descends on these 120 disciples. They begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. Just another reminder that this is a movement of God, not of man. It is who who gives them utterance? The Spirit. 
And at some point, it seems like this episode has to move away from this house and out into some public arena. There's obviously no way that a house could have held the multitude who had gathered. Apparently, though, the sound of this phenomenon was loud enough that a multitude gathered to hear what's all the commotion about. The text says that people had gathered from every nation under heaven. Obviously, the indication is that they had gathered, uh, um, every nation in the known world had gathered uh, at this time, and they were represented, and they were Jews who adhered to the Jewish religion and customs, which is why they were in Jerusalem for Pentecost, for the Feast of Weeks. Little did they know that as they had all gathered with their first fruit offerings, that they themselves were about to be the first fruit offerings of a different harvest. The miracle that Luke records here, this demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power is astonishing, but have you noticed, it's not really a miracle of hearing. The Spirit had not descended upon the Jews of the multitude in order that they would be able to supernaturally hear and understand Greek and Aramaic. No, the miracle here, the miracle that happens is that the disciples, the followers of Jesus, are supernaturally speaking the various languages of the nations who have gathered here. It's a miracle of speaking. And by the way, this is not the gift of tongues like Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 14. This is a unique and beautifully intentional outpouring of God's Spirit in power. And what's the result? Verse 6 says, The crowd was bewildered. Verse 7 says they were amazed and astonished. They say, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. The indication here is just incredible. It's that the disciples were speaking the languages of the nations with like specific regional dialect. So this is not what I remember of my 10th grade Spanish class like, como estes mi amo Josh. Or like, buenos noches mi amo Brittany. That is obviously not what is happening here. This is more like, wasn't that Josh and Brittany speaking Spanish with a perfect Latin American Spanish accent? Like, no offense, Josh and Brittany, but that would require a supernatural act of God. And that was obviously what was required for the Galileans to be able to speak in such a way. It's not only that the multitude could understand clearly, don't miss this, it's, it's that they may as well have been listening to their neighbor from across the street. The Spirit had descended in power. Make no mistake about that. Do we as individuals and, a, and as a church, do we live with an eager expectation that the Holy Spirit can, when he chooses to, work with that kind of power. Notice I didn't ask if we live with an eager expectation that he always will work with that kind of power. It's important to understand the distinction. We should not live from miracle to miracle in our lives because the Holy Spirit is free. He's not beholden to us to act in our lives in the way that he did at Pentecost, but because the Holy Spirit is free, he most certainly can act in our lives the way that he did at Pentecost. Folks, we should pray on a regular basis for fresh outpourings of the Spirit in his power. Do we not want revival in our families? Do we not want revival in our church? Do we not want to see revival in our community and around the world? We should pray for that. We should long for that. 
We should eagerly expect that the Spirit can do that. But in the meantime, because we don't live miracle to miracle, we should eagerly expect the kind of ongoing power that we always have access to because we have the ongoing presence of God. Now, admittedly, I often lose heart. My own growth, my own sanctification just seems so slow. It seems so grueling. I don't know if you ever felt that way. But what I try to come back to in those seasons is the truth that I am never at any moment without access to the Holy Spirit's power. Folks, we have access to the power that we need every moment of every day to overcome sin and temptation. Husbands and wives, you have access to the power that you need to love one another in the way that God has called you to. Parents, you have access to the power that you need to shepherd the hearts of your children. Kids, you have access to the power that you need to obey your parents. I know you think you don't, but you do. So what is it for you? What do you need power for? An anger issue? Maybe a wisdom issue, lack of wisdom, or maybe a lack of self-control? Whatever it is, don't forget you have the Holy Spirit's power. And church, as a church, we have access to the power that we need to remain faithful to His Word, even when it's hard. We have access to the power that we need as a church to live on mission in this community and throughout the world, even when it stretches us. Even if the Lord never performs another miracle for us to witness for the rest of our lives, we should not downplay or doubt the Spirit's ongoing work in and through us. So will we tap into His power as a daily exercise of trust and obedience? Now that's the question. We can help one another in this. Not only do we need to be more aware of when the Spirit is working in ourselves, when we notice the Holy Spirit's movement and work to sanctify our family members and friends, let's not be shy about offering that encouragement. Obviously, these are folks that you're comfortable with, but go on and say, hey, I think the, the Spirit was really at work in that conversation with our kids. I haven't noticed you talking to them that way in a while. Or, hey, I think the Spirit is really helping you to be less angry. Hey, I think the Spirit must be at work in how self-controlled you've been lately. Let's spur one another on in that way. And also, let's discern with and in one another gifts that the Holy Spirit has empowered us with for ministry. I want to ask you, are you serving with your spiritual gifts in our church? And if you're not, first thing I want to say is you definitely should be. Never hesitate to let us know the ways in which you would like to serve. We'd love to figure out a way to connect you in service and help you discern how the Lord has spiritually gifted you. Today, I'll say this. Go ahead and sign up for the nursery. I bet you'll be gifted in that way. Now, secondly, if you are serving, there will be times when you feel ineffective. You feel like your service doesn't matter. We've all felt that way. And when we do, we should never forget that when we serve in the church, whether on stage, here, or in the sound booth, or as a greeter, or in the nursery, we're using our gifts in the Holy Spirit's power. It's not for us to determine what ways uh, He will work in and through us. We just have to be faithful. And in this way, even when it doesn't seem like it, 
We demonstrate the Spirit's power on a regular basis within the life of our church. Let's not forget that. Let's give ourselves to that. In verses 12 and 13, Luke records a couple responses from the multitude who experienced this miracle. The ones who are amazed and perplexed, they ask a question. They say, what does this mean? What's the purpose of what's going on here? And that's the right question. Miracles, as one scholar says, are not self-authenticating. Miracles require an explanation, right? And so, what's the explanation? Well, the skeptics who are there in the crowd, predictably, they, they provide a natural answer to that question. It doesn't mean anything. They're drunk. And this is often, by the way, the way that the world scoffs at the claims of Christianity. Even some theologians who claim to be Christian theologians, they seem hell-bent on providing naturalistic explanations of supernatural events. And while it's true that not everything that seems to be a miracle really is a miracle from heaven, the ones that are and do attest to the mighty works of God should not be mocked or downplayed or dismissed. Church, we should beware and watch out for those who provide no biblical explanation or clarity when there seems to be a miracle. But conversely, likewise, we should also be aware of those and watch out for those who always have a natural explanation for what seems to be a supernatural event. Now, fortunately, the Apostle Peter is neither. The honest question, what does this mean, and the naturalistic response, they tee him up perfectly. Because what's needed here is for someone to clarify the miracle and speak to the purpose of the Holy Spirit. It's not only the Holy Spirit's presence and power that help us to live with an eager expectation of His work. The Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2 with a purpose. He comes with a purpose. We should always live with an eager expectation of the Spirit's work in our lives because His purpose has not been fully accomplished. It begins in Acts 2, but even now it still isn't finished. His presence with us and His power in us, excuse me, <coughs> it was right at this moment in the first service that I started coughing. <laughs> his presence with us and His power in us is for a purpose. We can ask the Apostle Peter, what is that purpose? And Peter will say, well, I'm glad you asked. He says this, Here's what this means. Everyone, listen up. First of all, let's get this out of the way. They're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. Jews haven't even started eating at this point, much less started drinking. And then he goes on to quote from the prophet Joel as the beginning to his answer to that question. His answer to the question, what does this mean, is actually his famous sermon at Pentecost. We won't look at all of that today. The majority of that we'll look at next week. We'll just look at the first little section today of how he answers this question, what does this mean? Now, it's significant that Peter quotes from Joel. Remember, the multitude had gathered to observe the Feast of Weeks, to offer their first fruits from the wheat harvest— context of the book of Joel at some point in the 6th century BC is that a locust swarm has completely devastated the land of Judah and so they're left with a barren and wheatless harvest but not only did God promise to restore to them the years that the locusts had eaten he made a more long-lasting promise he made a promise that up until the day of Pentecost here in Acts 2 had not yet been fulfilled and that's promise peter says is now being fulfilled god says that he'll pour out his spirit on all flesh sons and daughters young and old male and female servants 
He says he'll show his wonders in and through them, but the focus is not on the signs and wonders as much as it is on the recipients. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon kings and prophets, but now in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God has been poured out on all flesh. As Matthew preached last week, the kingdom of God is wide open. There's no distinction when it comes to who is or isn't qualified to receive the Holy Spirit. Men and women, young and old, rich and poor, every race, nation, tribe, and tongue. The only qualification for receiving the Holy Spirit and escaping the judgment, the day of the Lord that's mentioned here is this. Verse 21, everyone who what? Calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The kingdom of God is wide open. This is exactly why the miracle at Pentecost is a miracle that involves the disciples speaking in the languages of the nations. The nations didn't hear the mighty works of God in Greek or Aramaic. They heard the mighty works of God and what had been accomplished in their language for them. And as we'll find out, they're going to be saved and they're going to take the news of the mighty works of God with them as they go. This is the fulfillment of what Joel prophesied, and this is the full and final fulfillment of Pentecost. The multitude of nations in Jerusalem had brought their first fruits, but they themselves are the first fruits of the harvest that will be gathered throughout the rest of the book of Acts and the harvest that's still being gathered today. This is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. To bear witness with his presence and power to the mighty works of God in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We should always live with an eager expectation of the Spirit's work in our lives because his purpose has not yet been fully accomplished. And if we can trust the Lord, and we can trust the Lord, to make good on his promise to send the Spirit, gifting us with his very presence and power, should we not also trust that he will build his church in and through us? After all, he said in Acts 1-8, what? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Presence. And you will be my witness's purpose. God will gather a harvest from every nation, tribe, and tongue. He will accomplish his purpose to build his church through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. He's done it here, church at Trace Crossing. We are evidence of that. God, had, God has gathered us as a part of his harvest and called us as his own. We are a part of the everyone who has called upon the name of the Lord for salvation. And we live together with an eager expectation that the Spirit will continue to accomplish His purpose in and through us. And it's at this point that I want to say, church, I have been so inspired by you. And I'm thankful for you and your heart for reaching our community and reaching our world with the hope of the gospel. So let's continue in that together. Eagerly expecting the Holy Spirit to work. Why? Because we have His enduring presence, ongoing access to his power, and we have a God-given purpose as his witnesses. Would you pray with me?